7.05 UTC right after the international news. Welcome to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm John Tanz in Washington, working on this program very remote. Here are some of the top stories making news across Sudan and South Sudan this Monday, September 19, 2022. Sudan's Ministry of Education says children will miss schools due to floods. The meeting decided to postpone the reopening of school until Sunday, October 2nd, 2022. This is due to the circumstances around the states that have affected with the torrential floods. And world leaders attend the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II in London. I'm in Hyde Park in central London and the funeral service for Queen Elizabeth II has just finished. Her body is being taken. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. The spokesperson of the RBA Special Administrative Area says armed men killed one person and injured three others, including a woman during an ambush on two vehicles traveling from RBA to a met market on Sunday. For VOA News, Dengai Deng has details from Juba. The spokesperson of ABA Special Administrative Area, Ajat Deng Mian, says no arrests were made in the Sunday attack, adding that the suspected gunmen escaped to the bush. It was yesterday around uh, 10.20 a.m. that uh, there was two vehicles uh, going to a meat market. About the half in to the market, they were ambushed, they fully ambushed. Uh, by Mr. Uh, group in and this is the area that used to have this kind of incident through the year. So they attacked the, 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 the first vehicle and they wounded one person and then the driver rushed to the market. The other one, the second one also, they shot at it, they killed uh, one person on the spot and they wounded two people. Mian says one person who sustained serious injuries was rushed to Unispa Hospital in Abia town. Our people are not happy with the, with the way things are being done long before. As the rainy season, the road has been cut in some places, but it is continuing uh, with the help of some battalion within the Unispa is repairing it. So the road is still being accessible because that is the only way the food comes. But to, uh, to have this kind of incident repeatedly in the same place without the uh, Unispa leaving up to the level of Monday is really the answer. A week ago, thousands of ABA residents carried out peaceful demonstrations in ABA town to demand autonomy and recognition by the international community. Community leaders addressed a petition to the United Nations Interim Security Force for ABA, UNISFA, calling on the international community to grant ABA self-rule so that its people can enjoy stability, security and prosperous life. Mian says the people of ABA are frustrated by what he calls continuous attacks by armed militias, allegedly from both Sudan and South Sudan. I think these are coming out from the frustration of the people, but these are the communities which are moved, they feel they are being 
pressure from the south and being pressure from the north, and there is look like there is no future for at the final status is not there. In May this year, the Masiria and Ngogdinka communities of Abia, a special administrative area, signed a peace deal at the end of the three-day peace conference mediated by the United Nations Interim Security Force for Abia or UNISPA in Entebbe, Uganda. Abia straddles Sudan and South Sudan's borders, fighting erupted in the area in 2011. Khartoum and Juba agreed to allow a neutral peacekeeping mission to post a security in the area until a political solution was reached. UNISFA monitors the border area between the north and the south and is authorized to use force in protecting civilians and humanitarian workers. For VOA News, I am Deng Guiding in Juba. The Sudanese Ministry of Education has postponed the opening of schools to early next month due to torrential rains and floods in some parts of the country. Sudan's Minister of Education says more than 600 schools are affected by heavy rainfall and dozens of others are occupied by internally displaced persons forced out of their houses by the floods. For VOA News, Michael Atit reports from Khartoum. Educational officials in Sudan say 623 schools have been affected by floods across the country. Speaking during a press briefings late last week in Khartoum, Sudan's Minister of Education, Mohammed Cyril Khatim al-Huri, postponed the opening of a school across the country until further notice. He says the situation in areas affected by floods is not good for both students and teachers. The meeting decided to postpone the reopening of school until Sunday, October 2nd, 2022. This is due to the circumstances around the states that have affected with the torrential floods so that they have enough time to resolve the issue of more than 623 schools that have been affected. Al-Huri says dozens of other schools are also occupied by families displaced by floods and that the government's disaster high committee will identify new locations for the internally displaced persons to avoid occupying schools. According to the government's humanitarian aid commission, the seasonal rains and flash floods have affected an estimated 300,000 people across Sudan. The UN Children's Fund, UNICEF, and the international aid organization Save the Children said in a joint statement that an estimated 7 million girls and boys will miss the school season in Sudan this year. Rim Abbas is the communication specialist with UNICEF. She says 12 million school-aged children will not attend classes due to lack of teachers, infrastructure, and enabling learning environment. With the exacerbating socioeconomic situation, recurring conflicts, and prolonged COVID-19 school closures, once children drop out of school, the chances of girls and boys returning to school are low. Girls are especially vulnerable. Evidence suggests that the economic crisis is deepening gender inequalities in Sudan, especially among adolescent girls. Abbas says schools are more than a learning space for children, but offers other skills such as psychosocial support, giving children stability and structure in a volatile environment. 
Beyond reading, writing, and learning mathematics, children learn social and emotional skills, play in a safe environment, and have access to other critical services. Schools protect children from the physical dangers around them, including abuse, exploitation, and recruitment into armed groups. The UNICEF official calls on the government of Sudan to reopen schools as soon as possible and ensure no schools are occupied by armed actors so that no child is left behind. We call on all stakeholders, foremost the government, to ensure sufficient funding for education is available, including for teachers' salaries and school feeding programs. Education is a win-win investment. Improving access to and a quality of education is key for the development of children and countries. The rains and floods have destroyed thousands of homes in 16 of Sudan's 18 states. The Sudanese National Council for Civil Defense reported that 129 people died and 120 others were injured since the beginning of the rainy season in June. For VOA News, I am Michael Atit in Khartoum. President Joe Biden will address the UN General Assembly in New York on Wednesday, where he's expected to highlight U.S. efforts to strengthen global food security and replenish the global fund to fight AIDS and other pandemics. Patsy with the Kwasara reports from Washington. Some 828 million people go to bed hungry every night, according to the World Food Program, making global food security a priority for leaders gathering at the UN General Assembly beginning Tuesday. President Joe Biden will address the assembly on Wednesday. National Security Council Coordinator for Strategic Communications John Kirby told VOA. He'll have a chance to address the whole uh, General Assembly in the morning. He'll be uh, dealing with issues of food security around the globe. Food security which is exacerbated by the war in Ukraine. Biden will seek to balance U.S. and European allies' interest of supporting Ukraine and isolating Russia with the myriad problems faced by the rest of the world. Richard Gowan, U.N. Director at the International Crisis Group via Skype. Early in the war, European diplomats in particular demanded that their African and Asian counterparts should support Ukraine at the U.N. But they didn't really show that they were listening to their counterparts' concerns about food security and the economic shocks linked to this war. Now the US and the Europeans are really trying to send the message that they are sympathetic to the developing world's economic concerns and that they will work to address those concerns. To that end, U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken will co-host a food security summit on the sidelines of the U.N. General Assembly Tuesday. Since Russia's invasion of Ukraine, exports of food and fertilizer from the region have been disrupted. This pushed post-pandemic food prices even higher and the world further from achieving the U.N. goal of zero hunger by 2030. Rob Vos of the International Food Policy Research Institute via Skype. We need to invest a lot more in agriculture and food systems, or particularly uh, change things around in food systems such that they become more inclusive so the poor people can reap more benefits from it, that uh, food prices stay low so that uh, they're accessible, uh, and that um, production becomes more resilient and, uh, and sustainable. Global health is another priority for the administration. Because as COVID-19 reminded us, global health threats do not respect borders. 
We must tackle COVID-19, monkeypox, and other outbreaks, and we must do it together. Also Wednesday, Biden will host a conference on the Global Fund to Fight AIDS, Tuberculosis, and Malaria. The U.S. has given $2 billion out of the $6 billion committed to meet the $18 billion needed globally. Pat Siuda Kuswara, VOA News, Washington. You are listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Coming up, world leaders attend the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II. Stay tuned for that story after the break. What do you think? People speak out on important questions. The question today... Is there such a thing as unconditional love? The reason why I say it's there, because I've seen my parents and I've seen there is unconditional love in their relationship. Basing on the way, like my dad treats my mom, the love is unconditional. No, 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 I don't think that. Uh, because uh, human, it is very difficult to predict human beings. So uh, human beings are just unpredictable. Anybody can change at any time. So that's why I, say I believe there is no unconditional love. I'm one of the people who believe in real love and therefore I believe in unconditional love. It exists. It's there. It's been exercised among people. And we have the ability to give unconditional love. So it's there. Honestly, I've not been there before, so I don't know much about it, but a lot of things that I've seen people are struggling to love each other. What do you think? A daily discussion of important questions from VOA. VOA's Henry Ridgewell was on the streets of London as the funeral ceremonies for Queen Elizabeth were carried out. He has this report. I'm in Hyde Park in central London and the funeral service for Queen Elizabeth II has just finished. Her body is being taken in procession across central London. Tens of thousands of people have come to Hyde Park and to other parks in London and to city centres across the country, to cinemas, uh, to pubs, where the Queen's funeral has been put on the big screen. And it's interesting if you speak to the people here about why they've come. Some say they felt a deep personal connection with the Queen. They feel like they've lost somebody they loved. For others, it's about respect. Respect for a monarch who was on the throne for 70 years and gave her life to the service of the country. And for others, they say they just wanted to be part of history. That they wanted to be part of a day they would never forget. And so today is the culmination of 10 days of official mourning for Britain. It is the culmination of the second Elizabethan era. And tomorrow really begins the first day of the next era of King Charles III. And he faces numerous challenges for keeping the monarchy relevant, for keeping it popular, and keeping the Commonwealth together too. But for today, it is the final day for British people and people around the world to pay their respects and say goodbye to Queen Elizabeth II. Australian Memorial, the New Zealand Memorial, the Heavy Artillery Memorial, and will be the parade ground for this final parade of the London procession as each contingent that comes up Constitution Hill falls in as That was VOE's Henry Regal in London.
Officials and aid workers in Somalia's drought-stricken south say the area is expecting many deaths from famine if aid is not urgently scaled up. A doctor tells VOA that one child is dying per day at his hospital due to malnutrition. For VOA News, Mohamed Desani reports from Magdishu. Somalia's southwest state is one of the places the United Nations expects famine to arise as the prolonged and worst drought in 40 years continues to devastate the country. State humanitarian advice and disaster management minister Nasir Arush told VOA in an interview after he visited hard-hit areas including Wajid in Bokol region that the situation is very, very bad. You know, we have been dealing this drought for the last three years, and, but the situation is getting really, really bad. The latest report show 214,130 people in Southwest are in a catastrophic situation, which is called IBC-5. That number was 112,470 in June 4. So from June 4 to September 12th, we have new 101,660 people increase. He said the urgent situation needs an urgent response. Dr. Saeed Yusuf Mohammed works at the Stabilization Center, a unit inside the biggest hospital in Southwest State. He tells VOA that the drought is having a devastating toll on children. He said that every day a child is dying to malnutrition at his stabilization center. He says, you can see that the number of patients who need treatment for malnutrition is increasing and there are times when the hospital reaches beyond its capacity and now it is possible to admit over 90 patients a week and sometimes more than 20 a day. Mohamed Laisane for VOA News, Wajid, Somalia. Cameroonian authorities have accused armed separatists of abducting five Catholic priests, a nun, and two worshippers from a church on its western border with Nigeria. The Catholic Church in Cameroon says the gunmen touched the church Friday before fleeing towards the Nigerian border. Muki Edwin Kinzika reports from Yaoundé. Roman Catholic Church officials in Cameroon say fewer than 10 of the at least 200 Christians expected at St. Mary's Church in Chang Village attended their traditional church service Sunday after bishops reported a separatist abduction there. Chang is a western village on Cameroon's border with Nigeria. Cameroonian bishops say more than 30 gunmen stormed the church Friday evening, shooting indiscriminately in the air before setting the church building on fire. The bishops say five priests, a nun, and two Christians were abducted and taken on motorcycles to the bush on the border with Nigeria. Alusius Fondong Abangalu, bishop of the Diocese of Mamfe, when Chang is located, visited St. Mary's Church Sunday. He says a separatist attack Friday scared Christians away from attending the service. 
Abangalu said he was surprised that some of the fighters who attacked St. Mary's Church are former members of the church. They are my brothers and sisters who did this thing. Some of them are Catholic Christians. It's an abomination. You burn the church with Jesus inside. You are telling God, we don't want you in our land. This is a terrible thing. We don't have to pray to beg God's mercy. Abangalo spoke on local media, including Equinox TV and Satellite FM Radio. Reverend Father Humphrey Tatambui is Director of Communications at the National Episcopal Conference of Cameroon's Catholic Bishops. He says it is unfortunate for fighters to abduct Catholic clergy and committed Christians whose mission is to preach peace and make the world a better place to live in. They carried them off saying that the church has not been respecting gunmen. We all know that the Catholic Church in particular has always been for justice and peace. The church is neutral. No one has a right to target men and women of God. That's why the bishops wrote a letter to all the Christians decrying this kidnapping and asking Christians to pray for them. The Catholic Church in the letter released Sunday condemned the attack and said since the separatist crisis broke out in Cameroon in 2016, clergy have been soft targets of kidnappers, torturers and gunmen. The church says church buildings and schools and hospitals owned by churches are regularly attacked by armed men. Cameroonian bishops say the Roman Catholic Church and all other churches in the Central African state reject violence as a solution to the crisis. They call on the gunmen to release the abducted people and stop killing people. Cameroon's military says the clergy and Christians were abducted by separatists but does not give possible reasons for the abduction. The government says the military has been deployed to rescue the abducted people. Capo Daniel is deputy defense chief of the Ambazona Defense Forces, one of the main separatist groups in Cameroon's English-speaking western regions. Daniel says splinter separatist groups attacked the clergy in Chang village. We are sending a warning to all the splinter Ambazonian forces that there is no justification for attacks against religious institutions that are the backbone of Ambazonian communal life. Whatever differences we have with some of the leadership of the Catholic Church, the church is sacrosanct and cannot be touched in this manner. Our fight is against the Cameroon state and its institution are not against the church. Daniel said some splinter separatist groups are attacking everyone they suspect of collaborating with Cameroon's central government in Yaoundé. He said the splinter groups do not want schools. The fighters consider instruments of manipulation and assimilation of English speakers by the French-speaking majority to open in Western Cameroon. The Roman Catholic Church has opposed closure of schools by fighters. The UN says that Cameroon's separatist crisis that degenerated into an armed conflict in 2017 has left more than 3,300 people dead and 750,000 internally displaced or having fled to neighboring Nigeria. Moki Edwin Kinzika for VOA News. Yawundi, Cameroon. Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. 
In Somalia and elsewhere in the Horn of Africa, people have been waiting for rain for months, sometimes for years. Some parts of the region have now experienced an unheard of four consecutive failed rainy seasons. Unfortunately, according to the World Meteorological Organization, there is a high probability that the Horn of Africa will experience a fifth failed rainy season in October. This means another season of failed crops and millions of dead cattle, leading to hunger, malnutrition, and in the most extreme cases, death. In early September, the UN's Integrated Food Security Phase Classification Famine Review Committee warned that without a strong upsurge of emergency humanitarian assistance, the Burhakaba and Bayadoa districts of southern Somalia will suffer famine between October and December of this year. The threshold for a declaration of famine is high. If 20% of households face an extreme lack of food, if 30% of children suffer acute malnutrition, and if for every 10,000 people in the region, two adults or four children will die every day due to starvation or malnutrition and disease caused by lack of food. The United States is gravely concerned by the Famine Review Committee's stark forecast and by the outsized scale of humanitarian need throughout the country, said the U.S. Agency for International Development Administrator Samantha Power. More than 7 million people are facing grave hunger, and many of them are facing outright starvation. This famine can still be avoided. Today, a significant increase in humanitarian assistance can still help prevent mass starvation and deaths, said Administrator Power. But the window to prevent this famine projection from becoming a reality is closing quickly, and the next several weeks are critical. For its part, the United States government, working through USAID, has delivered over half of all humanitarian funding for Somalia in 2022. USAID funding for drought in Somalia has been more than $668 million this fiscal year alone, and we are prepared to do more, said Administrator Power. However, no one donor or government can solve this crisis alone, which is why we urgently call on all donors, both traditional and emergency emerging donors to step up now to help prevent mass starvation and deaths. Waiting for a famine is not an option. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. That's all we prepared for you this Monday. Don't forget to check out voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. And for world news, go to voanews.com. If you miss this broadcast, go to voanews.com forward slash South Sudan. We now leave you with Khalid and the song Aisha.
listening to Khalid and the song Aisha. I'm your host, John Tanza in Washington. Thanks for allowing us into your homes, phones, and vehicles. Join us again tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America.